Well, good morning again. We're glad to have you all worshiping at Green Tree Community Church. If you're seated on the outside of the rows on either side, if you wouldn't mind grabbing those attendance books and signing them and passing them towards the middle. Uh, it's a way for us to keep up with one another. So uh, if you're a regular tender, remember, we'd love for you to sign. If you're a visitor, it's a great way to uh, connect with us and let us know how we can tell you about Green Tree. If there's certain areas of ministry uh, that you would like to learn about, you can check off any of those boxes, give us your contact information, and we will be more than happy to uh, make sure that your pathway into getting to know a little bit about Green Tree is as, as smooth uh, and easy as possible. Uh, if you let us know what you need, we'll make sure to, to, to get it to you. Uh, we are continuing in our series in the book of Acts. We're talking about how to connect culturally for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And this morning we're going to be, uh, in a few minutes in chapter 18, we're going to do things a little differently this morning. I'm actually going to do about, two, about a third of the sermon before we read the text, but it will all, it'll probably all make sense to you, hopefully, uh, in a few minutes as we go along. Uh, so before we jump in, let me, uh, let me just stop and pray for just a minute. Father, as we, uh, we celebrate uh, our children and the opportunity to, to share the Lord Jesus with them, to share his word with them, Father, now we come to, uh, to learn the word ourselves. We are, we are teachers only when we are students. Uh, and we seek to be students, not that we would know more, but that you would transform our lives. Father, this isn't just about knowledge. It's just not about knowing Scripture, it's about you taking your living and breathing word and applying it to our lives, whether it be salvation for the very first time or whether it be on our journey of discipleship and wanting to grow in our faith and be used by you to, uh, to impact the world. So Lord, as we uh, look this morning at a, at a passage of Scripture that uh, shows Paul in a very different, unique place, a uh, place where we probably uh, uh, would be surprised to find uh, pastors or churches. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, A, forgive us for our arrogance, our lack of care for, uh, for those who don't know you, our assumptions that there are only certain people that are, that are worth our time and our attention, and forgive us, Father, for quitting so easily when it gets difficult. Uh, we say we are disciples of Jesus. Uh, we say we are the ones who will take up our crosses and follow him daily. And yet, Lord, we uh, at times uh, are more concerned with our own comfort. Uh, and when the discouragement comes, we, we stop pretty quickly. So, Father, as this word uh, maybe challenges us this morning uh, to let go of some of our human expectations and, and learn to rest more in you. Father, I can't deliver that message. I, I haven't even applied that message to my life yet in the way it should be applied. So the person who's preaching needs it as much or more as anyone who will listen. So we pray for your spirit and your truth to rule and to reign in our lives, to do that work which you promise, to your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So every, uh, every week, uh, Chip Dimitri and I meet on Tuesday, and we kind of look back at the, Chip's our worship director, and we, we look back at the last Sunday, and then we look forward to the next Sunday, and then subsequent Sundays out. And Chip always asks me the same question. He'll always say, hey, do you have any, any thoughts as you're, as you're uh, looking through your sermon and you're getting ready for songs that you want to sing, any worship songs that we, that we want to do that particular Sunday? And very rarely do I actually have input. And it's not that I don't know worship songs. I, I grew up in a church. I, I've sung hymns all of my life, and I've, I've sung the more modern hymns as well. But I, I typically am not all that good at saying, oh, man, yeah, right off the top of my head, this song would go great with this particular sermon. Well, last Tuesday was no different. Chip said... Can, can you think of a, a song that would go with a worship service? And Milan went, oh, absolutely. I, 
I, I've got it. We might not be able to sing it as a congregation. It might not actually fit in the worship time, but I know the song that fits perfectly. So we're just going to show you about, about one verse of the song that goes with the sermon this morning. Everybody on the chorus. No? Unbelievable. You didn't just want to jump right in? That just didn't stir your heart to worship? So if you're, if you're under 30 years old, you might really be wanting to get out the door right now. Um, if you're older, you might be going, this Tom, somebody dropped him on his head this week. Um, Elvis Presley, 1963, Viva Las Vegas. In case you couldn't quite make, up the word, make out the words, and I'm just going to give you the, the first verse. There's a lot more that he builds on here. Bright city lights going to set my soul, going to set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there, and they're all living devil may care. And I'm just the devil with love to spare. Viva Las Vegas, viva Las Vegas. So we uh, come to uh, Paul's journey into, into Corinth. I'm gonna, we're going to connect the dots, trust me. Paul is coming to a place that um, nice people wouldn't necessarily be seen. Uh, and Paul's coming to this, this spot in his ministry after about uh, somewhere between four to six years of constant travel on the road, uh, preaching the gospel, uh, sharing the word of God, and starting new churches. And Paul comes into Corinth, and, and his condition, as we're going to look at in just a minute, is, uh, is one of, of weariness, is one of, of, of spiritual tiredness and exhaustion uh, and again we'll, we'll kind of share a little bit about that in just a minute we're also going to look at the condition of Corinth what is this town and and why has God mapped it out so that Paul ends up in Corinth because it seems that those two things don't go together I mean as a pastor I understand what it means to get tired I, I know what it's like to kind of have your batteries run down and, and need to be recharged I, I've had the experience where I've just kind of sat there and said I I, I need a break I need to catch my breath. And my close friends who know me well will occasionally beat me to the punch, and they'll come in and say, you might want to you know, take a day off. Um, we'd like to keep liking you, so you should probably leave for a little while. Uh, you seem a little bit tired, a little bit cranky, but never in over 30 years of ministry has anybody walked up to me and said, you look like you need a weekend in Vegas. <laughs> now, I know some of you feel that way and, and have done that. I don't know why I can't do that, but, but, but when you all talk to me about being tired, you're like, Tom, why don't you... Why don't you, you know, take some time and go to, go to a pastor's conference, like for promise keepers. Or, or Tom, you know, you, you look like you're a little worn out and, and maybe you're a little snippy towards sinning. You know, Gary Smalley has a great marriage retreat and we'd, we'd love for you to go to that. Why exactly does Paul, or does God, look at Paul and know Paul from, from, from the inside out, know everything about him, and send him to a, a place that seems like completely the, the opposite uh, location you go to to get some spiritual rest and nourishment now just by way of information before we read this text i want to talk a little bit about paul's condition and corinth's corruption again paul is weary from travel 
he's in the middle of his second missionary journey, actually probably two-thirds of the way through his second missionary journey, and he's been in at least 25 cities in five years. Think about that. Think about the travel and the pace that you would have to keep up in order to hit that many cities, and that's actually a, a moderate estimation. It could be as high as, as, as 32 or 33, but Paul has constantly been on the road for the sake of the gospel nonstop for about five years. He's endured persecution that you and I have never experienced in our life. He's been beaten with rods. He's been in prison faultly. Actually, one time when he was sharing the gospel in a town named Lystra, people actually tried to stone him to death. They took rocks and threw it at him, and they actually thought they had killed him. He was lying there unconscious. Or recently, Paul had just come from Athens, and we looked at the passage about Athens last week, and the ministry in Athens was successful, but marginally so. There was not a, a wild uh, conversion rate. There was not a huge, what we might call in our day and age, revival, where, where thousands of people came to Christ. There were a handful of people in the city of Athens. And here's Paul as a professional preacher. I'm sure he was thankful for that handful, but there were probably also moments when he went, wow, that, that was a, a lot of work for just a little bit of return. He's also, as he enters into Corinth, he, he's completely isolated. His, his two good buddies, Silas and Timothy, who have been traveling with him, for about the last year and a half to two years, and you think again about traveling with somebody, you spend all your time with them. They've developed a close bond and a close relationship. He's left them behind in the region of Macedonia, and he comes to Corinth, and, he, and he's all by himself. I remember when we left uh, Chattanooga and moved to St. Louis when I began to uh, do youth ministry uh, at Central Pres over in Clayton, and I remember very vividly in January of 1990, my first day off. And I, and I take a weekday off. I, I take Fridays off. And so Cindy was out doing stuff with the kids, and, uh, and I, was, I was by myself. And so I went to a movie. I can even tell you what I saw. I saw the, the Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman um, in, uh, in Glory, the Civil War movie. And I remember sitting in the movie theater all by myself, knowing that I would never have another friend the rest of my life. <laughs> Here I am in, in St. Louis. Don't, you know, I know three or four people maybe, but not very well. Nobody well enough to call and say, hey, do you want to go play a round of golf or you want to go hang out? you want to go get a cup of coffee? And it felt very, very lonely. Paul's walking into a city where he, he knows no one. And his best friends have been left behind. And he's low on money. As you'll see in this text we're going to read in just a minute, he has to actually revert back to his previous occupation of, of being a tent maker in order to make ends meet. He, he's, run out of, he's run out of funds for his ministry. On top of all that, again, he comes to Corinth. Corinth was the, the typical, prototypical seaport town filled with all of the vices that were known to mankind. Corinth was actually at the intersection of the major land and sea routes in the Mediterranean. There was free-flowing commerce in Corinth, a town of, of probably about a quarter of a million people by the time Paul got there. Uh, he was certainly in a metropolitan area where that, the size of which he had never seen before. And, and every vice known to mankind that had been invented to that date was very, very prominent in Corinth. We say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You would say maybe what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was the home of the Greek temple of the goddess Aphrodite. And in, and in, the, uh, in the Roman world, that would be the goddess Venus. Those were the goddesses of love. They said that, that there were days in which over 10,000 temple prostitutes plied their wares on the streets of Corinth. Corruption knew no day off in the city of Corinth. In those days, if you wanted to say that a person had questionable moral character, 
if you, if you either wanted to identify somebody as kind of a, a low-life kind of person, or you wanted to insult someone and say, you know, you don't have very much integrity, in the Greek, the word you would actually use for that is Corinthian. You would say, you are a Corinthian. That means that, that you're a loose-living, wild person that knows no moral boundaries. And this is where Paul goes, broken, tired, exhausted, for spiritual retreat. It seems that if you take Paul's condition and Corinth's corruption and you put them together, it seems that you have the recipe for disaster. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, hear the word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was the Caesar at that particular time. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him, reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. If you look at Paul's condition when he comes to Corinth, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty down. It's pretty, it's pretty defeated. If you look at the city of Corinth, you would say, that's the last place I would send a Christian who was you know, kind of worn out and weary. I would find another kind of retreat location for them. Because if you put those two things together, if you add them up, it doesn't look like it's going to come out to any kind of spiritual success, any kind of spiritual benefit. But that's if you're doing the, the calculation by man's calculation. If we look at how God calculates things, if we look at how God puts things together, he does so for very specific reasons in order to glorify his own name, but also in order to strengthen and encourage his children in their discipleship. Remember, we, we must remember first and foremost, God isn't most concerned with our safety. God is not most concerned with my health. God is not most concerned with my success in this life when it comes to measuring it by earthly terms. God is most concerned for my spiritual benefit that I, my life is being transformed into the image of his son Jesus because that's the very best thing that could happen to me. That's the very best thing that can happen to you. It's not winning the lottery. It's not, it's not having a, a great invention that does something marvelous for mankind. It's growing in the image of the Lord Jesus. And God does that in very odd ways according to our standards. And yet, driven by his love for us, driven by his compassion for those who are lost, God is going to grow us in our faith. And so he brings Paul to this incredible uh, metropolis of corruption in a moment of vulnerability in order to show himself faithful and in order to encourage Paul to keep right on doing what he's doing. 
And so when you and I find ourselves in the struggle, when you and I find ourselves in the middle of perhaps um, a season where maybe we've shared the gospel with folks and, and nobody's responded, a season where, where we, we've intentionally and missionally and purposefully sought to follow Christ in, in our workplace or in our neighborhood, and it seems like people are going, that's real nice, but they're ignoring us. And we might say, you know what, I, gosh, I kind of feel like quitting. <laughs> this passage may be for you and for me this morning. Several observations in this text about God's calculations. The first one is that God brings friendship and finance. Look at, at verses 2 and 3. And he, that being Paul, found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Paul is immediately connected with some fellow Jewish folks. Now, Rome had, the city of Rome had been emptied by the Caesar, Claudius, as a persecution against the Jews. And yet God used that to bring two people in particular to Corinth because he knew Paul needed some new friends. He knew that Paul needed some, some fellow disciples that could walk alongside him and encourage him. It could be that God sent thousands of people out of Rome with that edict that Claudius uh, sent out and enforced simply because he wanted those two folks to get to be with Paul. That's God's math. God does some things that from a human perspective look very different or very odd, but he does those in order to care for us. Not only that, but he provides finance, not in the way that maybe Paul would have thought about it. Paul maybe would have, have thought, you know, if I go to a town and I preach the gospel and I share, you know, they'll take an offering and that supports the work of the ministry. And we do that. We don't pass a plate on Sunday mornings. We have little offering churches and we give online and, and we want our congregation. We want all to give. We need to give in order to support things like we had this morning. But in this particular case, that, the, that was lacking. There wasn't a church yet there. So Paul had to kind of go back to what he knew, which was making tents. And what do you know, these two folks that he just met, they were of the same trade, and they were pretty successful at it. God provides friendship. He provides finance. I was talking to a buddy earlier this week, and he said, hey, I want to I tell you something that you're going to probably hear from other folks, as folks that people at Green Tree know. He goes, I, I think my wife and I are going to spend the next uh, two years in Haiti. I said, really, that, that, that's, you could have told me a lot of things. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that one. If you give me 10 or 12 guesses, why, why are you doing that? He says, well, there's a young pastor and his wife, and they have three kids, and they're going to be moving down to Haiti, and they're going to be serving down there. They're going to be moving in with this local pastor and working in an orphanage and trying to, to, to build up the church and to, and to create a school and then eventually some micro-business and that sort of thing. I said, well, okay, that's good. Why are you going? He goes, well, you can't expect a young pastor and his wife with three kids to go down there by themselves. We're going to help. And I was so <laughs> surprised and ashamed <laughs> and proud of him, kind of all at the same time, ashamed of myself. It was like I said, hey, you know, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. You want to go hit a golf ball? I mean, he said it with that kind of casual tone. And yet there's deep abiding conviction there of wanting to bring friendship to folks who are going to share the gospel. That's, that's how God calculates things. The second calculation here is reunion plus revitalization. Look at verses 4 through 6. And Paul's reasoning in the synagogues on the Sabbath, trying to persuade the, the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews 
that the Christ was Jesus. Now, you don't see it there in the, in the English, but there's a, there's a little switch that's taken place. It would almost, uh, as we read it, it would almost look like it, it meant that when they got there, this is what they observed uh, Paul's actions to be. When, when Silas and Timothy showed up from Macedonia, it says Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews. And to make it seem like that's what they found him doing. But actually what happens there is a bit of a transition which we discover in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul talks about the financial gift that Timothy and Silas brought with them from the churches in Macedonia, which allowed Paul to set aside the tent making and become a full-time pastor again. And so if we were going to read it kind of the, purely in the English, we would say when, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was then able to be occupied with testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And then there's some opposition to him in verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. There's, there's the old Paul we know and love. There's the Paul who stands up under persecution. There's a the Paul, when, when he's mocked, he says, You know what? I, I've, I've told you the truth. And you're not going to accept it. I'm going to go find somebody else who will listen, and maybe they will accept it. Now, now we see the Paul that has this fire burning in his gut because his, his, his buddies have arrived. I don't think we can underestimate the importance of, of Christian friends. I don't think we can underestimate how crucial it is the people around us that love Jesus and love us. The support that gives us, the encouragement, not just as a pastor, but as, as, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about walking with Jesus and being the only person in your, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your business, in your school, wherever you find yourself, all, that follow Christ. What a difficult, lonely road that would be. And Paul arrives in Corinth by himself, but God immediately brings in some new friends, and then he, and then he, then he very shortly thereafter reunites him with the old, and Paul gets right after it. Because God's equation, God's calculation is reunion plus revitalization. But there's also proclamation plus redemption. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me, if you would. And he left there. And he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. You know, almost nothing beats a positive result. And, and not just in the kingdom of God. If you're a school teacher and you, you see that your kids, they get it and the light comes on. And maybe it's been a struggle for them. You know, maybe you have some students in your classes like me. I, I wasn't quite the, the quickest one to get it the fastest, but I eventually got there. I always wonder why my teachers look so relieved and so happy when, when that happened. But you go, they get it. And, and there's just almost nothing better than that. If you're a business person, you put together a deal and you know it's really good your client and you know it's really going to serve them well it's not just about making the money but you go that is that is so good it's going to be so much better as a parent when you see your child progress put yourself in any situation almost nothing beats results and paul now has the opportunity to preach and that equals people coming to new life in jesus christ many people in corinth the last place in the world you and i would go to plant a church the last place you and I would send a preacher saying, you know, you need some time to unwind and maybe talk to some new folks about Jesus, you know, head down to the French Quarter in New Orleans, you know, head to, head to downtown San Francisco, head to, head to Las Vegas. Those might be places we would think would be the last place we would go. And yet here's God in his calculations for Paul's life 
giving them the opportunity to proclaim and then bringing about new life and redemption through Jesus. There's a couple other aspects of, of God's calculations here. And the next is that God brings alf, uh, excuse me, affirmation plus a promise. Look at the conversation, or, the, or the, actually it's a, it's a one-sided conversation. God speaks to Paul in verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I said almost nothing beats results because there is one thing I think that beats results, and that's God's confirmation to his, to his man. <laughs> when, when God confirms your role, when, when God allows you to bring somebody to Christ, from maybe somebody you've been talking to about Jesus for a long time and all of a sudden the light goes on, that's so confirming. It's so encouraging to, to, to know that God is speaking directly to you and, and through you. And perhaps Paul is still a bit skittish. Maybe Paul, like you and me, you know, when things start to go well, we have kind of this warped theology every once in a while, right? And we say, well, things are going, going pretty good right now, but I'm just kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall, right? Sooner or later, something's going to go wrong, right? You know, that's kind of, that, that isn't very good theology, but it, but it also, um, you know, is a way to look at the world. And maybe Paul has kind of got a little bit of a, a nervous twitch from, from being beat up all the time. And from being thrown in jail just because he loves Jesus and people throwing rocks at him, that would give me a nervous twitch. That would, that would, that would make me look over my shoulder quite a bit. And while the, the friends coming and, and the finances falling into place is all really good and folks are coming to Christ and that's really wonderful, perhaps Paul was kind of going, oh man, this is too good to last. And, and the father says, son, stop. Let me tell you what's going on here. Nobody's going to hurt you. Not here, not now. I'm not talking about later, but right here, right now, in this city, I'm going to protect you. And if you read on, we're not going to go on to verse 12, but if you go and you read there, there, is, there are some folks that come and try and attack Paul, and it doesn't work. He's protected. Why? Because God said so. God affirmed Paul's work, and he made a promise to him. He assured him that, that this respite from these attacks was, was going to last. Paul, you can settle down. It's okay. You just keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep doing what I'm doing, and we've got a great equation here. It's going to work out. You can trust me to keep my word and to protect you. And because of that, the, the last calculation that I want to point out in this particular text is in verse 11. It, it becomes a rest stop plus relationship. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul got to stay in one place for a year and a half, 18 months. For Paul, that must have seemed like a lifetime. Those of you that travel a lot for business, and, 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 I, and I talk to some of you, and I know some of you, and when you get a week where you don't have to get on a plane, you know how great that feels just to know you're going to be home, and you don't have to battle the traffic and the, you know, the getting in, going through security and, and hotels and all those kinds of things. I just get to stay home and just kind of put my feet up for a little while. And here's Paul. He gets to stay in one spot for 18 months. The only place he ever probably stayed longer in his entire ministry experience was Ephesus for two years, which only beats that by six months. Paul was constantly on the move, but God gave him a chance to catch his breath. And he also created new lifelong relationships. Many people put their faith in Christ through Paul's teaching. You think about people that, that, that you know that come to Jesus, and, and there's a connection that's made. And, and it lasts for a long time. And even if they go someplace else, even if they, they move. And we have people that, you know, are here in Green Tree and then they, they move away. And, and it's fun to kind of keep up with them now with Facebook and all that stuff. You can, you can, it's a lot easier. But they, they become friends for life. I, I was talking to a friend 
yesterday via email, and he and I have not seen each other face-to-face since, I'm going to say, 2008. (laughs) But we're lifelong buddies because we're partners in the gospel together, and that's what God does here for Paul. You see that, that Paul's condition and Corinth's corruption had absolutely no bearing on God's equation, on God's calculations, because God's about building his kingdom. God's about using people like you and like me, people like the Apostle Paul. Paul's not the hero of this story. God is. His care for Paul, his direction for Paul, his bringing the resources to Paul so that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed. You don't have to be a professional pastor to have this text apply to you this morning. So I want to I kind of wrap this up with what happens in Corinth. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Corinth, I'm going to give you a couple of points here. First of all, does not rely on our strength or ability. It's about God's timing. It's about his plan. What happens in Corinth is not void of discouragement. It's not void of loneliness. It's not uh, safe from feelings of failure. Um, A good friend of mine took his own life back in 1995 who was a pastor. I still think about that at least once or twice a week. It's been almost 20 years. That's hard to believe. But but what happens in, in the ministry of discipleship and in sharing the gospel is going at times to be painful it's going to times to feel like you're all alone and every one of us should be looking around this room and our fellowship of believers of we're disciples of jesus and at least asking this question once a week who's one person i can encourage <laughs> who's one person you know diana rolfin who was so nervous about all this going great and i'm gonna talk about her while she's out of the room right wouldn't it be really cool if everybody here got her address and sent her a note this week? And don't tell her. Keep it secret. I don't think Fred's in here. Fred is usually in the second service. Fred in here? Okay. So go to the church directory, get her address, a real with a stamp, no emails. Okay, come on now. Let's do this the old-fashioned way. And just give her a little note that says, hey, thanks for teaching second grade. And when she gets like 300 of those, what's that going to do for her? Think about ways we can encourage one another because there are times when it's discouraging, times when, when, when you're feeling like a failure. But what happens in Corinth is not thwarted by man's unbelief or by corrupt practices. The fact that I wouldn't have sent Paul to Corinth shows you that it's a good thing that I'm not in charge. <laughs> and, and the way that I look at ministry needs to be uh, led and directed by the Spirit of God and by His Word because man doesn't stand in our way. Those who, who would oppose the gospel are not the problem. The problem is, do I have enough faith to really trust God that his power will be sufficient? What happens in Corinth is part of God's plan for redemption for others. Yes, even Corinthians. And growing the maturity of his disciples. Uh, Anton has been challenging me with this lately. And that is Green Tree a place that really welcomes anybody? Literally anybody that walks through our doors. And, and Anton said, I really hope it is. But if it is, that means the edges are going to kind of be messy. They're, they're going to kind of be folks that aren't, you know, aren't quite cleaned up and, and look you know, like they're, they're nice, even though we look like we're nice and there's enough mess in us to you know, fill the whole world. But if, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be purposeful about that, intentional about it, sin you know, and its brokenness makes things messy. Is that going to stop us? Is, is that going to say, ooh, we don't, we don't want to go to Corinth? No. It should, it should drive us to understand that part of God's plan for redemption includes Corinthians, includes messy folks. And that's what a lot of us have been in our lives. Sec, and, and, and I'll put it this way. What happens in Corinth does not stay in Corinth. 
Priscilla and Aquila ended up going back to Rome when Claudius lifted that censure. And there was a church that was planted in Rome, and we spent, I can't even remember how long, about two and a half years studying Romans, right? That was written to folks in Rome, and Aquila and Priscilla were the founders of that church. They went back and shared the gospel in Rome, so that when Paul eventually got there as a prisoner, he had a spiritual family waiting for him. You see, what happens in Corinth doesn't really stay in Corinth. Paul and Timothy and Silas, they, they, they started a new, new church in a strategic crossroads town of the ancient world. How many people traveling through Corinth heard the gospel and went somewhere else? I don't know, but our spiritual ancestors are part of that group. You see, God is about building his kingdom everywhere. It doesn't know any boundaries. It doesn't know any limitations. Diane, Diane said this morning, you know, there are, uh, there, there are 400 people at Green Tree, uh, members-wise, and, uh, and there are 318 kids. Well, she got her numbers right as far as the, you know, the number we report officially as far as members, but there, there are 400 people at Green Tree. Because if you're going to include Green Tree, you've got to include the crossing in Columbia. And you've got to include Riverside over in Webster Groves. And you've got to include City Church. And, and you've got to include the church that we helped start in Boulder, Colorado a few years ago. And you've got to include uh, a church that we've supported financially over in Champaign-Urbana at the University of Illinois, and so on, and so on, and so on. And you've got to count people that you've led to Christ, but that Green Tree isn't their spiritual home. They found another church. There are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are walking with Christ today that weren't 15 years ago. And I don't say that, say, hey, let's all pat ourselves on the back. And let's take it easy. Friends, we got a lot of work in front of us. <laughs> we got a lot to do before it's over. But what happens in Corinth doesn't stay in Corinth because that's not how God does the math. The way God does the math is our trust in him, our faithfulness to continue to share the word even when we're tired and lonely and broken is multiplies in ways we'll never know until we get home. I want to live with that equation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you see so much further and deeper than we do. That you don't think in terms of what could limit us. What could slow us down, what might stand in the way. Because you are the all-powerful, all all-loving, and all-knowing God. Who simply calls us to trust that and to follow. So Lord, I, I pray for that trust this morning. I pray that we would derive encouragement from this text. That we would see Paul coming, kind of limping into town, and not a place where we would have sent him. But 18 months later, an amazing thing happened. You were faithful. Paul was stronger in his faith, and there were many more people in the kingdom of God. Lord, please do that in and through your disciples at Green Tree. We pray in his name. Amen.